6.8 church. Uh, it comes from a verse in the Bible, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. We're trying to be a church of disciples, making disciple makers who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And I'm excited. We're going to uh, talk about that specific thing in detail this morning and walk through the whole thing. Um, so, we're glad you're here. If this is your first time with us, uh, we'd love it if you'd take that connection card in front of you and put your information on it and drop that in the offering later uh, in the service. And we will uh, donate a pair of socks to Northwest Children's Outreach in your honor for filling that out, for being your first time here and doing that. Everyone else, we encourage you to go ahead and fill that out as well and let us know how things are going. Let us know if there are things we can be praying for um, and so forth. You can do that on the connection card. Well, this morning we're going to get right into, right into the talk. We're in the Disciples Project. This is the second module of what we're calling the Disciples Project. And this module, we've been talking about the church. What is the church? Ekklesia is, is, the, is the Greek word there for church, the called out ones. We talked about that. We're talking about what it means to be the church and what the church is supposed to look like. And uh, we've kind of gone through a lot of stuff now. This is the seventh week in this module. And uh, we covered redemption in the first module. All this stuff is online, so you can go get caught up if you want to know more information about any of this. And we hand out a daily guide every week that, uh, that you can take home and walk through uh, some of the material that we cover on Sunday mornings throughout the week. And we really strongly encourage you to do that so that we can all be going on this journey of becoming disciples together. So make sure you're taking those daily guides and going through them and reading through them and doing it. It's not a lot of work. We try to keep it so it only takes 10 or 15 minutes a day to work on those things. So really a really easy way to follow up on the sermon as we go through that. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. If you don't, you can pull out your phone on the Bible app, turn to Mark chapter 4, and while you got your phone out, we appreciate it if you would check in on Facebook, let the world know you're here, Foursquare, Twitter, all of those great places. Say, say hey to the world from here. If you have a question, you can send that to 360-818-4399. Somebody's already asked a question, what is Pavlov's dog? Pavlov's dog is the, uh, is the experiment that Pavlov did with the dog, and he rang a bell and gave it a treat, and rang a bell, gave it a treat, rang a bell, gave it a treat, and he can trained the dog's mouth to water by giving it a treat every time he rang the bell. So there's Pavlov's dog for you. We're going to try that some, sometime and ring a bell, give you donuts, ring a bell, give you donuts, and then just ring a bell and see if your mouth waters the next week. <laughs> All right, Mark chapter 4. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're talking about our process as a church. Now, Quick backstory, this is something that we as a staff have been working on for over a year, kind of going through what our process is. What is the process that it takes for, for making disciples? What are, the, what are the steps in the process? If you look at somebody from the very beginning before they know Christ, all the way until we can say, hey, that's a fully discipled person, what is that process that we want to take people through? What does the process look like? And that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. I'm really excited to share about it because we've been working on it for so long, and it's very biblical in its approach, so uh, we are very excited about it. But um, I want to talk to you really quick before we get into that about skipping the process. I think a lot of us kind of have this desire, right, that we just want to kind of magically arrive somewhere. We want to, instead of working hard for our entire lives, we would rather just win the lottery and live how we want, right? I mean, that's kind of a pretty natural desire. When we're kids, 
We want to go from being a kid to being an adult without having to go through the years of growing up to become an adult. Skipping the process is kind of inherent in our nature, inherent in our desire. So I think we need to keep that in mind because the only way we actually develop, the only way anything in this world, in this life, actually develops and comes to fruition is by process. You know, trees don't go from being a sapling to a 40-foot-tall Douglas fir overnight. They have to go through the process of growing to become a fully mature tree. And just like the tree, we have to go through a process to become a fully developed, fully devoted disciple, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to talk about that process and that we become disciples over time, not all at one time. We become disciples over time, not all at one time. Discipleship is a process, not an event. We become disciples over time, not all at one time. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen. So listen. A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants, so they didn't bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. Jesus had a habit of talking in stories and parables to teach. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding." Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. So he's going to explain the parable. The farmer sows the word. Some people are, are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and, once at a, and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Verse 20, others... Like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. 
So here we have this farmer. I don't know if you know anything about gardening, but um, there's, there's this farmer, and he's got probably a, a, little, a little bag of seed, you know, leather, a leather satchel of seed, and he you know, probably comes over his shoulder, and he's got it here where he can just grab it and throw it as he's walking around, right? So, so he's going in, and he's pulling seed. Well, as he's walking to go sow the seed in the field that he's prepared to sow, the, the bag is probably full of seed, so some of it kind of falls out along the path. And then as he walks along the path, some of it falls into the rocky parts and next to the path, and then, and then some falls into the thorns. And all of these seeds uh, represent, represent the gospel, represent the Word of God being planted. And then he finally, he gets to the garden, he gets to the soil that he has prepared, and he plants the seed on the good soil. And the seed that's planted on the good soil grows and produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. This is, this is really just practical gardening. This is just what happens when you plant seed. If you plant seed, if I were to drop some seed right here on the surface of the stage, nothing would happen. Something could blow it off. Nothing would, nothing would ever happen without the other elements to make it grow. If you drop a seed in, in rocks, there might be just a tiny little bit of soil, and it might get exposure to, to some rain, some moisture, so that it actually opens up and becomes a seed, but there's nothing for it to take root in, so it dies off quickly. If you throw some seed into thorny spots, into places where thorns are growing, the seed might grow up, but it has to grow up in competition with the thorns and risk getting choked out by the thorns around it. But if you throw it in the place that has been prepared for it, then it grows and produces a crop. We used this passage last year as we were preparing for Easter to talk about how we wanted to, we wanted to prepare the ground so that when, when we invited people to come hear about the Easter story and that Jesus Christ died on Friday and rose on Sunday all for the repent, to pay the price for our sins so that we could have forgiveness of sins. When, when Jesus did that, we wanted, we wanted people to hear that message. We wanted it to be planted in good soil, and so we talked about preparing the soil. Well, that's the first part of our process here as disciples is that we have to prepare the soil. Now, there's, there's a break in the process. There are two steps, and then there are three steps. This is, this is all going to make sense as we go through the morning, I promise. There are, the first two steps are prepare and plant, and then the last three steps are progress and protect. That's one step. It's confusing, but trust me. Progress and protect, prune, and produce. So those are the last three steps. But there's this break between the first two and the last three. And the break is when we cross the point from preparing somebody to receive the gospel to the point where they accept the gospel, they are like the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, we're going to talk about in just a minute, and then from that point on, they become the follower of Jesus Christ, and so they engage in the last three parts of the process. But we have work to do as disciples, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to do the work of preparing people. So we are going to be learning what it means to prepare what does it mean to prepare the soil? What does it mean to do the work of preparing the soil so that people around us can hear the, the, the message of the gospel and be ready to hear it? Because we don't want to just throw it at people, right? We don't just want to throw the gospel at people and have it bounce off of them. We don't want to plant it when, it's, when it doesn't have a chance to grow. We want to have done the work that we've been called to do before we plant the seed. So what does it mean then to prepare? How do we prepare the ground? Well, here is how we plan on doing that as a church. There, there are a few kind of primary methods. The first is prayer. 
You'll hear us say, pray and expect, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Pray and expect. But we start with prayer. We start with our 8 to 15, and we, we go through this list, and there's some cards in the back, and there are some cards out in the lobby. If you don't know what 8 to 15 is, it means those 8 to 15 people God has put in your life so that you can invest in them for kingdom purposes. So we, we go through and we think about who those 8 to 15 people are, and, then, and we pray for them. We make an intentional habit, an intentional decision. We're going to pray so that they are ready to receive God's Word, and then we invest in a relationship with them. We intentionally invest in a relationship with them, and then we as a church have decided that we want to uh, do some other things, and that is to do what we call magnetic ministries. So we have several ministries throughout the church that are, that are designed to, to attract people to draw people in so that we have the chance to build relationships and invest in their life, and then they become our 8 to 15, some, someone that we can hopefully lead through the process. So we have things like Chasing Supermom. That's a magnetic ministry. We want to meet a real need of Supermom, of moms who are kind of out there fighting it alone sometimes. We want to meet that need, and hopefully we invest and build relationships in them, and they are drawn into our community here at 6A Church. Same thing with the food pantry. We're meeting a real need. We're going out there and we're doing what God has called us to do by doing justice and loving mercy. We're doing those things, but at the same time, we're drawing people to the church so that they have the opportunity to be exposed in relationship to us. We can grow in relationship, mentoring relationships, things like that, and then we can invest in that relationship so we have a chance to plant the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we do everything that we do. We're not just doing these things because they're the cool thing to do. We're doing them because we want to share the gospel with as many people as we can because we actually believe it. Amen? I was, I was going to say, you know, kind of put one amen in your mind, and then throughout the morning, you know, just, just decide when you're going to use that amen. Let's see if we can kind of wake up a little bit. Amen? amen. That one doesn't count. You've got to save another one. So, pray and expect pray and expect. We're going to use that phrase. We're going to pray and expect for God to create opportunities. What are the prayers that we want to pray? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we have a role to, to play in prayer. We have to pray for those who we are investing in because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. The God of this age, of this world, of this, this dominion that we're living in has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. So we have to pray that they would be able to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are saved it is the power of God. So we have to pray so that those who see the cross as foolishness are, are enlightened and transformed and can hear the Word of God, and then the gospel can be planted, and they become those who are being saved by the power of God. So we pray and expect. We pray and expect. Pray and expect that God will open the minds of those who don't believe so they can see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray and expect that God will open the minds of those who don't believe so that they can see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray and expect that God will create opportunities for us to invest in their lives, that God will give us a chance to invest in the life of those that we're trying to reach, that He will give us those chances, those opportunities to invest intentionally in that relationship. And then when God does create the opportunity, because we don't just, we don't just pray, we expect God to do it. When God does create that opportunity, then we invest in our relationship with Him. 
Now, each of these steps have a threshold. As we kind of go through the five steps of this process, there's a threshold that takes us from one step to another step. Now, the first two we're kind of approaching more from, from our perspective at reaching those people, and the last three always apply to us as believers as we grow up in Christ. But the first two, we look at it as disciples, as those who are already following Jesus Christ, and we look at it, this is what we're going to do. So the first two, I am, I am the one who is preparing the soil, I am the one who is planting the seed of the gospel. And so for these first two, there's a threshold that has to happen. And the threshold is this, six to eight weeks should be easy to remember because we're 6-8 church. So six to eight weeks, we invest in someone for six to eight weeks, and then we invite them to church. We invite them to gospel. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We can't invest forever. It's easy to get stuck in the investing. It's easy to get stuck in investing in a relationship with someone, and it's important, and we cannot skip the step, but we can't stop at step one and expect anything to change. At some point, we have to invite them to Jesus. We can't invest forever. So the threshold, six to eight weeks. Isaiah chapter 28, because we can't invest forever. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? These are rhetorical questions. The answer to them is no. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Is he always behind the plow? No. Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? No. When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. So after it's time, after we have done the plowing, after we've prepared the ground, then it is time to plant the seed. Plant the seed of the gospel. We want to plant the seed of the gospel after we prepared the soil. Now, if you look at this picture, it doesn't look like the soil has been very well prepared, but uh, it's a good picture anyway because there's a seed in the guy's hand and he's going to plant it in the ground. <laughs> what is our primary method then for planting? We've prepared the soil. The soil is ready to receive the seed. What is our primary method for planting? Our primary method, each of these have a primary method, by the way, each of them have a primary method, like we talked about the first one. The primary method is prayer, 8 to 15, investing, magnetic ministries. That's the primary method for, for preparing. The primary method for, in, for planting is inviting someone to church and sharing our story. Now, if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll notice something, and you'll notice maybe a paradox for how the church operates. When the Bible talks about being a disciple and being a follower of Jesus Christ, the responsibility for sharing the gospel with someone falls on the individual believer. So it falls on me when I am out in, the, in my area of influence, when I'm out sharing with my 8 to 15 and, and building that relationship. It's my responsibility to share the gospel with that person, with those people. But in the modern church, we've, we've kind of changed that, and my hope is that we'll start to get away from that. We've changed it because it's easier to invite someone to church than it is to kind of cross that line like we talked about last year, cross the line and invite someone to hear about Jesus, to share your faith with them. My hope and my prayer is that as we grow up and we become mature believers, mature disciples, that will become easier and easier and just more natural for us to share the gospel with those who don't yet believe. But in the meantime, we also want to have a way, a process to be able to share the gospel with those in case it's too difficult for me to share on my own. And so we want you to invite them to church where we can share the gospel with them here. 
But if you, if you are ready to share the gospel, it's really easy. All you have to do is spend a little bit of time going through your story, and I can help you do that, or we can help you do that here um, at the church. You can go through and you can work up your story and just talk about the difference that God has made in your life and your story. What are the key behaviors for planting? The key behaviors are still the same, pray and expect. So we pray and expect God to create opportunities for us to invest, and we pray and expect God to create opportunities for us to invite someone to church. We pray and expect that God will create opportunities for us to invite, invite them to church, or hopefully, as we grow up, to invite them to Christ ourselves. There's also this that I would like us to start thinking about to develop this habit. This is from Andy Stanley, and he shares this idea, and it's a great idea, so we're just going to rip it off. The three knots. He's talking about when you're in conversation with someone and you hear these knots, then our response, our automatic response, should be to invite them to our church. So let's just imagine we're at Starbucks or Black Rock or um, Crutch Brothers, and that you're getting a coffee and you're having a conversation up at uh, Crutch Brothers, which you don't really have because it's a drive-through. But um, you're getting a coffee. I'm not a Crutch Brothers fan, by the way. I'd, I'd rather go somewhere else. Like Mocha 6-8 when it opens in just a couple of weeks. <laughs> Let's imagine you're having a conversation with someone, and you hear this phrase, I'm not going to church. And you're just kind of talking to someone, and you hear, you know, I'm just not in church right now. Or you hear, I'm not from here. I just moved to the area. I'm not, I'm not used to this part of the town. I'm not used to this part of the country. I'm not from here. Or you hear someone say things aren't going well. You know, this, this is not going well. You know, just, we just had a baby, and it's not going well. We just, we just lost my job. Things aren't going well. And so what we hope, what our prayer is, is that our, our habitual response to that will be to invite someone to church. When you hear that, when you hear one of those three knots, not in church, not from here, not going well, we respond by inviting them to church. We respond by inviting them to church. Hey, have you heard about 6-8 church? What's 6-8? What does that mean? That's why we talk about what 6-8 means all the time, so we have a tool to share, people, share with people about our church we want to be a church of disciples, making disciples, disciple-makers who do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly. You should come try it out some Sunday. This is a pretty low-key way to invite someone because chances are pretty good you won't ever run into them again unless they actually come to church. And then share your story. We talked about that. John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves his life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. So this is, this is very important to understand because this is how the gospel actually takes root in our lives. We have, to, we have to bury ourselves, just like we talk about with baptism, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. When, when, we, when we are baptized, we're buried with Christ through baptism and raised to new life in Him. So as we, are, as we accept Christ, our old life is put to death, just like Christ was put to death, and the new life is what we are raised with in Jesus Christ. And so, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, so we have to put to death the old man so that the new man can grow up in Christ and take root in Christ. Unless we do that, it remains only a single seed. Maybe that's why we're not seeing fruit in our lives is because we've never actually put to death the old man. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world. So what is, it, what is the putting to death? The putting to death is to be more in love with the life God has for us than the life this world has for us. It's something we've talked about many, many times. We have to be more in love with the, with the life that God has for us than the life that this world has for us. And long as we're, we're entranced and entrenched in the life of this world, we're going to have a hard time putting that life to death. But we have to put that life to death so that the new life in Christ can, can grow up in its place. And the threshold for this, the threshold at the end of this, is baptism. Baptism, where we see that picture of someone being buried with Christ and raised to new life. This is where the handoff takes place, like we, like we will talk about in just a minute, where it goes from being what we're doing for someone to where it becomes their faith, and they start walking through the process. And then we walk through the last three steps, and then we start with someone on the first step. And then the next step is something new, which we're going to uh, offer here pretty quickly what, that we're calling the 6-8 primer, and that's going to be offered once a month right after church, a really short, um, a really short class, like a half an hour, 45-minute class, where we just talk about who we are as a 6-8 church, what it means to be a part of this church, and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the, in the big church, the, the global church. It's going to be a really simple introduction to who we are as a church, but we needed a step there to help people go from just attending our services to being uh, engaged and committed. So we don't become disciples over time, or we become disciples over time, not all at one time. Those are the first two steps. The band's going to come up, we're going to sing a song, and we'll take, commun take communion together. So as they're singing, I would encourage you to come up, get the elements for communion. And as we do that, to be, to be remembering why we want to make disciples. What is the burden? What is the passion for making disciples? It's, it's, it's not so that we can check something off of our list. It's not so that we can say that you know, we're doing what Jesus said. It's because our lives have been so radically transformed and changed by the gospel. We know what it means to now have put to death the old man and raising up in life the new man. We know what that means, and we cannot believe, we cannot understand how, how gracious God is to give us this free gift. And so this is what drives us. And what is that hinge point? What is that thing that we look at that is, that is the central characteristic, the central point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died on the cross for our sins. So as we celebrate communion, as we remember what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross, let that be what drives us in making disciples.